You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Springtime is here, and rain, rain, go away, come again another day. It's been unbelievable. This week, it started raining on Wednesday, and it's been raining ever since. So hopefully the rain stops. Wherever it stops, who knows where it goes. But lots of sports to talk about this week. The Jets were involved in conversations to make a trade for Tyreek Hill. They almost had the deal, but he decides to head over there to Miami in the same division. So what does that do for the Jets? Where does that put the Jets in the AFC East and the AFC that's become a powerhouse? We will get into the Deshaun Watson situation where he heads to the Browns, gets a $230 million contract, dealing with cases over there in Texas, which could cause him for civil cases. I don't know if he's going to jail for the criminal cases anymore. I think he's out of the woods, or the Browns wouldn't have made the deal. Baker Mayfield, where could he possibly go? Even though I don't believe there's a team right now out there that's willing to give the Browns a first-round draft pick, even though the Browns think he's worth a first-round draft pick. I think they hold on to him with the franchise tag, and maybe... If he starts the season, if Deshaun Watson gets suspended for five or six games, just like Ben Roethlisberger did with the rape charges, he wins a couple of games and maybe he becomes worth a first-round draft pick. We will also get into baseball spring training. Where do the Yankees and, and the Mets go this year? How better have they looked since the acquisitions they've made in the offseason with the Mets adding Marte and Max Scherzer and the Yankees bringing in Donaldson? We'll get into the Knicks. R.J. Barrett's had a sensational year. Looks like he will be the team leader going in the offseason. Julius Randle hopefully will be on his way out. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe if they can find this cancer, another place to play. We will also get into this NBA mandate. So now Kyrie Irving could play home games. Not only basketball, medical nurses and doctors that lost their jobs because they wouldn't get the mandated vaccination. They're complaining that these athletes should not have the opportunity to play home games, and they stick to their Dukes, but it seems like that's not going to happen as the mayor has put a hold on the mandate. Moneyline Media, we will get into with Chaz and the crew. We will not have Wes. Wes is nailing it, by the way. Dead on with his Miami pick. And Houston. And, and he was also dead on with his hockey picks, too. 83.5%. They're going up even higher now with the great week that they had. Wes will not be on the show this week because of family issues, but he'll be on next week. But we have a bunch of good handicappers joining Chaz and his crew. We also have our guest. We will be talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host Matt Fontana, a great friend of the show, a great show over there at ESPN. He's in Cleveland. We'll talk about the Baker Mayfield issue. We'll talk about the Deshaun Watson issue and the Guardians. So we'll talk a little bit about baseball with our friend Matt Fontana. The other team poorly run by a Dolan. Yes. And we will also get into some hockey as well. 
and then crunch time. But why don't we get into some football conversation? And Deshaun Watson gets traded after the criminal cases were pretty much waived by the jury. Two criminal cases waived by the jury, and it looks like he's not going to see any jail time. There will be civil cases that he's going to have to deal with, which means money. 22 women that he's going to have to deal with with these civil cases. Who knows? Maybe there is some criminal cases behind, but as of right now, it looks like he's going to have a football season. He signs a $240 million contract. He gets traded to the Browns for three first rounds, a second and a third, a significant amount of pieces to the puzzle for the Browns in the future. They're planning to win now, but you have a waving Baker Mayfield who has come out and said before the Deshaun Watson trade that he wants out of Cleveland. Now, I don't know where this all started with Baker Mayfield, maybe because of the fans, maybe because of the insults, maybe the death threats throughout the season by fans to him and his wife, Baker just has had enough. And Baker has been one of the faces of the NFL over the last year, year and a half. He's been in every single commercial. A great Samaritan for the Cleveland fan. Uh, He's been a popular player over the last two years for Cleveland. This past year with the shoulder injury early in the season, he couldn't stay healthy. Uh, with a team as talented as they had. Uh, A lot of people thought moving forward that they were going to be a playoff contending team. They didn't make the playoffs this year, and with all the COVID situations and Baker's soldier situation, they really believed that Baker wasn't the guy. At the Combine, they reached out to Baker Mayfield. They sat down with Baker and his agent. Baker pretty much told him that he's unsure if he wants to be there for the next half of his career. And the Browns told him that they are going to be seeking trades for Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, one of these quarterbacks that were becoming available. Then Deshaun Watson speaks. He had four teams on his list, the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, the Saints. We heard that it was really down to the Atlanta Falcons and the Saints the day before he was traded to the Browns, that the Browns were out of it. There was no way they were going to get him. 24 hours later, the Browns said to Deshaun Watson, we're going to extend your contract. We're going to give you one of the highest contracts in NFL history. Took back what he said about the Browns, and he would rather be traded to the Browns. And he was traded for three firsts, one second, and one third, and there she blows. He's now a Cleveland Brown. Baker could not be happy about that. And Baker was franchised before the season's end. $25 million will be guaranteed to him. With Deshaun Watson's problems, he is probably going to be suspended by at least six games. So I would keep and hold on to Baker. I've heard the Browns are looking for a number one pick, a first-round pick. I don't think he's worth a first round right now, especially with his shoulder problems. Teams are going to want to see how healthy he is. It's not his throwing shoulder, but they're going to want to see how healthy his shoulder is and how healthy he is going into the season. Maybe you start the season with Baker Mayfield. At least you have a quarterback that's doable and viable to win you games. And then when Deshaun actually starts to play, then you can trade him at the trade deadline and get as much as you can for Baker. You've got a very polarized market because of the injury, but he's also still very young. He's a fan favorite. So he's going to be more a little more trustworthy to trust comparing him to the veteran quarterbacks that could be available. Now, the biggest thing that hurt the Browns trying to move him was the Colts trading for Matt Ryan, where they're looking to not only win now, but try to get somebody that's young and affordable they could trust as trying to be a franchise quarterback with some good coaching with a top running back like Jonathan Taylor. Now they went for Matt Ryan instead, trying to get more of an experienced guy. It's a guy that's good in the fourth quarter. So now the Browns have a trickier market to judge and might consider just waiting to be the next quarterback 
quarterback domino to fall and let somebody else either create a vacancy for themselves or have something else happen to them and it might expand their market. Now, Seattle, after trading Russell Wilson, has been a destination that's been noted. I can't see them doing it, though. I think they're in rebuild mode. They're trying to trade their receivers. And Carolina is the other team that looked interested in it first and then all of a sudden backed out recently. They have money to make it work. That makes it harder for the Browns to get that kind of market, too. Now, it might be a draft day type trade. You're right. Maybe they wait until they see the result on Watson and all these other cases because there is another jury coming in and maybe the NFL has different different ruling on that. And that might either help his value depending on how he heals from the injury or it might hurt his value on how long they wait. So it's definitely a tricky dilemma for the Browns to judge. They already gambling in on Watson, hoping these cases go away and maybe there's less of them in the future where maybe, all right, he might be suspended six games for this season but still might get the remainder of the four years of the contract. So it might be well worth it for them to get a franchise quarterback because Watson, when he's at the top of his game as a top five quarterback in the league. In just a few minutes, we'll be talking to Matt Fontana, ESPN radio show host in Cleveland, what the Cleveland fans are thinking, what he thinks with the Deshaun Watson trade and, and Baker Mayfield, who has been a fan favorite over there before this year. A year before, he was one play away from being in the AFC title game and maybe the Super Bowl. So and maybe a yard, too, if Rashard Higgins got in the end zone second quarter. The fact that he has lost the fans and being a fan favorite that quick, it's, it's just a crazy story. But he's still a very popular player, and Baker had one of the highest uh, jersey sales in the NFL last year. And all those Baker Mayfield jerseys are pretty much going to be burned. Cleveland likes to do that with the LeBron James jersey, so why not do it with Baker Mayfield? So, Baker will probably be looking towards playing for another team. I, I do believe the Browns will hold on to him as the Deshaun Watson situation still is not closed. As far as Tyreek Hill is concerned, the story was we're coming out that Tyreek was very upset with the Devontae Adams contract. He got the highest paid wide receiving contract in NFL history. He thinks that he's as good or just as valuable as Devontae Adams to his team. He had an extension two years by Kansas City, I think for 70 to $75 million. Then Kansas City, in the middle of the week, said, go seek your own trade and we will trade you. He reached out to quite a few teams, and the two teams that were on the head of his list were the Jets and the Miami Dolphins in the AFC East. Both teams offered quite good offers. Jets offering their two number twos in their third this year to land Tyreek Hill and and another pick. Miami, they offered a boatload of picks. A first, a second, two fourths. One of the fourths will come next year, and a six-round draft pick next year to land Tyreek Hill and pay him $120 million. A lot of Jet fans were upset that he decided to go to Miami. I wasn't surprised because his house is over there in Florida. How Miami figured out that contract as fast as they did when he was traded is is ridiculous. So I think he knew where his plan was. Very surprised he chose them, especially with the coaching situation, the carousel that happened in the offseason with a racist owner. I was just very surprised that he went with that and he didn't decide to go with the Jets. I'm not upset. And Jet fans should not be upset because the Jets still have a great value of picks. If you brought in Tyreek Hill, that would have absolutely killed your salary cap next year in free agency. I think this trade is very weird for both teams. Chiefs lose the star number one receiver, an elite receiver for quite a while. And even before Mahomes got there, he was putting up good numbers with Alex Smith as well. And now Travis Kelsey, you still got there, but you have a lot of question marks with the rest of the receivers. They were struggling much of the year. Their running game has been a platoon since... 
the beginning of the season with Hilaire and then Jarek McKinnon, Daryl Williams, all these guys. Now the extra draft picks will help. I think they got a good return. The Chiefs have done better at drafting in later rounds, which helps. I think that's why they went for that offer over the Jets offer in terms of a raw draft pick because the Jets picks are quality all around a little better, but the Dolphins gave them a little bit of extras. And the Chiefs have done well at hitting on those extra draft picks a lot more than their early ones. Nick Bolton was a linebacker, third round pick. The guard Smith that they drafted this year was a fifth round pick. I think Kansas City won this trade. So I think that's why they ended up going for the extra draft picks. In addition, obviously, Hill wanted to go there for Miami. But there's still a lot of question marks if they're going to be able to replace that kind of production because they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, who's a guy that's been good at points, but hasn't done well when he's been a guy that's been a number one receiver since Antonio Brown left. You're the giving Steelers. a team that is very good at drafting. Remember, Tyreek Hill was a sixth round draft pick, right. and you know what Andy Reid likes to do. There is no way they're not going to hit on one of these picks to add a good offensive player that might not be as good as Tyreek Hill, but can give you somewhere close to what Tyreek Hill can give you. I think they won this trade. They don't have to pay him. They could pay Brown. Their quarterback is good enough to win. They are in the hardest division in football. This could be a year that they take two steps back, but not for long. I think this team is still very well built. Yeah, that's what makes it hard, too, because you're going to have to trust somebody to get the combined production. That would mean having another second or third receiver step up that we haven't really seen the consistency out of in that time. Whether well, they haven't seen the, the ball defense, enough. But they also haven't proven enough that they deserve it. Also, the other thing with the Chiefs, too, is they have a lot of holes to fill with their secondary, too. Now, the one thing that could help with this clearing of the money, maybe they get Honey Badger back, and maybe they're able to extend Orlando Brown. Still, they have to make those things work. And that's why I think the timing of it was kind of weird, too. This would have made a lot more sense kind of before free agency when the Chiefs, all right, you trade Tyree Kelly, you have that money cleared, then we can go after an attack-free agency. But now a lot of these guys are signed already. The market kind of slims down. It's diminished where a lot of the guys signed quickly at the beginning of free agency. Tyler Lockett's still out there you can make a trade for with all those draft stock. You had Tyler Lockett, and he's not Tyree Kill, but he's not far from Tyree Kill either. He's not going to be as expensive. You're not going to have to give up as much draft stock-wise. You could probably give the Miami Dolphins second and get Tyler Lockett. And Tyler Lockett, this past year, being hurt as he has, 1,200 yards, he's not far from what Tyreek Hill is. Now, obviously, Tyreek Hill is a game changer, and Tyler Lockett is more like an add-on offensive player. But in that scheme with Patrick Mahomes, you saw what he did with Russell Wilson. So I think Tyler Lockett's a very good player that you can add to your team. You won't lose a beat if you add Tyler Lockett. Now, from the Miami Dolphins' perspective, I thought it was kind of weird, too. Now, they needed a playmaker like that, and I think he's a very good scheme fit for any scheme, but still, to help out Tua Tagovailoa. Now, the question is, offensive line is still an issue for them. They bring in Teron Armstead, that's nice, but... They're using that money now on Tyreek Hill. It's going to be very hard for them to build any more. So hopefully those draft picks that they hit on start to develop. Which they don't have. I'm talking about the ones they drafted already that have been busts so far in the NFL. Outside of Austin Jackson, who's been pretty good as a tackle, that's really it. The other thing is, too, is like you were mentioning, they have a new coach. And Brian Flores really did a great job with that team and did a great job with that defense. So will their defense be as good and carried over? Yes, they have some stars on their team. But how many of those players did Brian Flores fit into their that Their defense system? also took two steps back last year. At certain points in the year, they absolutely did. And that's what the consistency is definitely concerning with that. So that's why I don't love it from the Dolphins side either. Yes, you're trying to make the flashy move. And finally, the Dolphins do it in somebody in their prime in their career. Sure. But still, that wasn't the only thing they need. It's a nice boost. They still have a lot of issues, though. So I'm a little skeptical this both is, ways. This is a perfect move for Kansas City. I don't know why you're skeptical to a team that has always done well in the draft, especially offensively. You're adding an extra first, extra second, an extra fourth this 
this year, you have two firsts, two seconds, and, and two fourths. You're one of the league's best when it comes to draft stock this year. You can move up. You could trade for pieces. I mean, Kansas City set up very well. This is a good move for Kansas City, and they didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill. When we come back, we will be talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host Matt Fontana here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If Pete Davidson isn't fighting with Kanye and Kim was not wearing like spandex or whatever the hell she's wearing, pink dresses, I could care less what the Kardashians are doing, but it's so funny because they're so easy to, to attack. But I definitely want to say about this guy, he's been a friend of the show. He loves coming on a show. And why not have him on with everything going on in Cleveland sports? We are now talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host Matt Fontana. What's going on, Matt? You guys want me to tell you about Josh Donaldson? Because he was here for all of two months, and <laughs> I think he got like 15 at-bats, got hurt. <clears throat> that was it. So it really didn't work out too well when no, he was in Cleveland. No, it didn't. Former MVP, I get it, but you keep seeing the deals, and you go, how do these guys just keep pulling this stuff again i know he's a good player like mm. i understand why the indians at the time the guardians now like traded for him but he was literally he was here for a playoff run he came back just for the playoffs i think played three games and that was it so he hasn't been really good in the playoffs and, either and, and here's yeah. another thing donaldson has never played in a lineup as good as the yankees so maybe being protected with all the players that the yankees have around him it's only going to make him a better player because he's going to see better pitches more pitches that he can hit over there in Yankee Stadium. And by the way, his numbers in Yankee Stadium, 333 career hitter, 14 home runs with Judge and Giancarlo and Clayper Torres and DJ LeMayu. That's a pretty good lineup with him in the lineup. You can't argue as a Yankee fan that if he stays healthy, it could work. So why don't we get into the Cleveland Browns? This Baker Mayfield thing has really spun. Baker Mayfield comes out. He says he wants to be a Brown for life. I don't care what the fans say. I don't care if my wife got involved. All of a sudden, Baker Mayfield says that he wants out. Trade me. I don't want to be here anymore. And then all of a sudden, Deshaun Watson, his name was getting brought up in conversation. And then Deshaun Watson's agent said that the Browns were out on him. And then the day after, they get Deshaun Watson for $230 million extension and giving up three first rounds, a couple other picks. Ridiculous to give away their future. But Deshaun Watson... What did you think about this whole move? I mean, it was one of the craziest things that we've ever dealt with just because you started out with Wednesday, we were out of it. The Browns were told, that's all right, we're going to move forward. And then you hear Thursday that they had scratched off another team off the list. I think it was Carolina. So now you're down to these two. So, you know, we did shows and, and had conversations Thursday and then Friday leading up to the actual breaking news of, all right, what are the Browns going to do, right? Like, let's get prepared for Jimmy Garoppolo. Can we make a run at Derek Carr? The biggest thing was, okay, if Deshaun Watson goes to Atlanta, which everybody thought he was going to, will trade for Matt Ryan. In the afternoon, my producer literally, he just stands up and he just had this look on his face. And I was like, what? And he's like, the Browns just traded for Deshaun Watson. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I think just that swing of going from completely out of it to landing him, it wasn't even like, hey, the Browns are back in it, right? Or like, <laughs> hey, he's going to meet with him again. It was literally, you went from not having a prayer to he's coming to the Browns. So that was just a complete whirlwind. And there's been a lot of reaction, right? Some people want to 
him on the team. Some people don't. I was one that I didn't want him on the team. I said that even when they were entering the discussion to, to, to bring him to the team, I didn't want him on the Browns. Uh, I don't really feel that different today. The only thing that'll really potentially change my opinion is hearing from Deshaun one day about the off the field situation and the allegations against him. And that won't probably come anytime soon just because he's got so much going on. And then you brought up Baker Mayfield, right? Baker, in a way, could be part of the reason why the Browns doubled down their offer. There's reports that the Browns were told they were out of it and they kept maybe after it, but that they also got a vibe from Baker that he was not coming back, right? So there was reports that the Browns sat down with Baker and his representation at the Combine to say, hey, just so you know, we are going to try to go after one of these big quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson, and wherever it led from there, fine. And then maybe Baker and his team got the sense that they were out on Watson and that offended them to the point where they weren't going to come back. Browns realized, okay, well, he was our second option, plan B. He doesn't want to play for us anymore. We need to double down on plan A and really go get Deshaun Watson done. And that's where they offered the fully guaranteed five-year, $230 million deal, which has never been seen before in the NFL. You said you were one that wasn't an advocate for trading for Deshaun Watson. So are you still worried about a potential suspension risk? And if so, even with the charges dropped that we know right now, how long do you think it could be from the NFL? I would be shocked if he's not suspended. There's precedent of Ben Roth was technically not criminally charged. Ezekiel Elliott was technically not criminally charged for their off the field, and they both got four or six games. So I'm operating that he will get suspended. I think the question is just how long. Is it 10 games because of the amount, 22? Is it the six because that's the precedent of not being charged criminally? I think a lot of people brought up Calvin Ridley, right? Calvin Mm -hmm. Ridley bet on a football game, and he's going to miss the entire year coming up. And you're not going to suspend Deshaun Watson that same length. And I understand a lot of people take is, well, it's innocent until proven guilty. And technically he didn't even go to court, right? A grand jury didn't even indict him on these charges. And there's a civil. And I understand that. I continue to look at it with 22 stories of very similar accusations. I have a feeling that something inappropriate happened. The NFL is doing their own independent investigation, which is actually continuing on while he's still being in depositions for the civil lawsuit. So there's a lot going on, but I'm operating and I would be shocked if he wasn't suspended because I'm operating on that. He will be. As everybody knows, we are talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host Matt Fontana. Now, Matt, we talk about Baker Mayfield. I think Baker, for all the stuff that he was dealing with this year, with the hurt shoulder, playing as hard as he did, dealing with the fans, the boos, the chants, his wife protecting him all over social media. I don't think he needs his wife protecting him. I think he's a grown man. We all know what Baker Mayfield did over there in Oklahoma. We all know what Baker Mayfield is and his personality, and we see him on all the television shows and television commercials. This guy is one of the faces of football right now. You look at Baker now, you're wondering, where is he going? to play is his career over there are teams really trying to rebuild matt ryan goes over there to indianapolis a lot of people thought that he would be a perfect fit in indianapolis seattle's still looking for a quarterback they still have dk metcalf tyler lockett over there and a decent running game where does this guy go this player who threw himself under the bus at the end of the season and then all of a sudden two weeks ago saying that he wants out where does he go i don't know i don't see it because seattle seems to be the last standing team right carolina said today they're out atlanta's good indianapolis is good washington is good even if you wanted to send him somewhere to compete with, I don't know, Daniel Jones for the Giants. Well, they signed Tyrod Taylor. They don't need him there anymore. Mm -hmm. Send him to a team that's kind of like on this 
teeter of we could maybe make it. Well, that was the Colts. I don't see anybody left except Seattle. And I just don't buy that because Seattle's beginning a full-on rebuild. No matter how good they get that team, they can't compete in that NFC West anytime soon, which is how stacked the 49ers, Rams, and Cardinals are going to be. So I'm assuming they're going to sit back and go, listen, we need a full-on rebuild. In a way, we already got a jump start on this because we have a top 10 pick this year. Might be smart to take a quarterback there. But ride it out with Drew Locke. Let him play. And then if you do draft a rookie in the first round, eventually that guy will play because you're going to want to see what they have. This season, make it modest or something. Go 4-13 and 13 or whatever it is. If you have your quarterback, great. If not, there's supposed to be a better quarterback crop next year. But Baker Mayfield doesn't do that for you. Drew Locke does. He's going to probably lose a lot more games than he'll win. I think Baker Mayfield could actually be successful. Yes in the NFL. You were looking for a team to say, we're going to take a flyer on this guy. We think we can fix him. We think we have an offense that works for him, but I just don't know who that team is. And I don't see a team lining up. And I really think it goes back to a conversation I was actually just having on my show is the fact that really what hurt the Browns was there was a couple really good classes of quarterbacks with Burrow and Tua and Herbert And even last year's class with Trevor Lawrence, they're not ready to give up on Zach Wilson with the Jets. Mac Jones is certainly doing good. They actually wish that one of those guys sucked. I guess maybe, you know, Daniel Jones could have gone back with that. But they wish that there was somebody that, okay, this guy will come in and push Baker. And there's not. Because there's teams with maybe more inexperienced quarterbacks, but not enough for them to discard them. So really, of the 32 NFL jobs going into the offseason, I wasn't sure how many jobs would actually be available It turned out that there was probably about, what, eight that actually would be available. Now you're down to two, and Carolina already told them we're good. So your guys' guess is as good as mine. This might have to be the Browns releasing him and eating almost $19 million on the cap. So I wanted to go to the other trade that happened, the Amari Cooper trade. They only gave up a fifth and a sixth round pick, taking on a pretty big contract, but still getting a good, consistent wide receiver. Highway robbery. In addition, they also had to get rid of Jarvis Landry. He was disgruntled with the OBJ thing, so he wanted out of Cleveland. So what do you think about those two transactions? And do you still think they have to go after more receivers, or you like what they're going in with with Amari Cooper? No, they definitely need another receiver. The way I think it it lays out right now, Amari will be your one. There's a younger player, Donovan Peoples-Jones, will be in his third year. Late round draft pick out of Michigan, but he's... He's a big-bodied kid. I was really impressed with the growth that he had this year. So there's your two. Really, that's about it. Talk about Amari Cooper. Yeah, I think that was a salary cap shed moment. Play Trans Jackson there, but that's what Andrew Barry does. We picked up John Johnson, a really good safety from the Rams last offseason. The only reason that he was available and on the market because the Rams couldn't pay him. So the Browns, at one point, were in a very good salary cap situation. Cooper ate up a good chunk of that. They are going to restructure that, kind of spread it out. But they released J.C. Treader, who was a center here for five years to save salary cap. They released Austin Hooper, took some shots on the way out as he joined Tennessee, <laughs> and then the Jarvis Landry move. You know, with Jarvis, people are wondering if he'd come back. There's reports that he was going to go to Atlanta if Deshaun Watson did. But I've had some people tell me that Jarvis is in communication with the Browns, talking to them about maybe a number to come back. He was owed $15 million. Everybody probably knew that that wasn't going to happen. They released him. They sent out a very nice statement about it he certainly is a beloved player in town and, and in the locker room so give him a phone call and say hey things have changed maybe a little bit would you be willing to come back on a next number or x number deal and we'll see how it goes but yeah if jarvis did come back i'd feel fine with that room of cooper don people's jones and jarvis but if they don't get him back they definitely didn't make a move people are all over will fuller the connection oh, with sean watson i don't know if i see that <laughs> the guy can't stay healthy and then the draft the browns still do have their second round pick which is 44 so they could look to get a Jahan dotson out of penn state could 
Fall, George Pickens out of Georgia. There's some receivers in a pretty good receivers class that might be available for them in the second round. But yeah, they definitely need one. I thought the Mari Cooper trade was great. It was awesome. And hold out a little bit of hope that maybe Jarvis could return to the That Amari Cooper trade was just highway robbery. When I saw they <laughs> gave up a five and a six for Amari Cooper, probably the best route runner in all of the league. And yeah, the Cowboys had problems with Dak Prescott. He wasn't getting along with Dak, and there was something going on in the locker room that just wasn't working out. And C.D. Lamb was becoming their number one over there. Something was going on over there. As everybody knows, we are talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host Matt Fontana, a friend of the show, awesome guy. Before we get into a little baseball, I've been hearing that Pittsburgh is lead team to get Baker Mayfield. Listen to Cleveland. Cleveland wants a first-round draft pick for Baker Mayfield. They're not getting it. Ridiculous. I cannot see anybody giving them a first-round draft pick for Baker. As far as Jarvis Landry, the teams that I've been hearing, I've been hearing Cleveland still, and Green Bay is the other team. Why don't we get into the Cleveland Guardians going into the season in a division that is very up for grabs. This is not a good division. This is one of the worst divisions I've ever seen. We all know Chicago White Sox are the best team in the division, but... I think Cleveland, with the pitching staff that they have, I know this Jose Ramirez thing is is definitely looming. Are they trading him? Are they keeping him? Where do you see this team going into the season this year? It's funny you mention it because they just came out with the over-under win totals for the season. And you're right, the White Sox are like 91, something like that. But then the Guardians, the Tigers, the Royals were all just like one game separate (laughs) of like 77, 76. Outside of the White Sox, the Twins were second. So they could be in it. But yeah, I think the Jose Ramirez thing was just natural of people, of course, we're going to call, but they have no reason to move him. He's still under two years of control this year and next year for an extreme bargain on the deal that he signed a couple of years ago. So they have no reason to really move him this year. His value will still be high next year. And they're in a bit of a PR war. The Dolans are the owners of the Guardians, cousins of the New York Dolans, and I wish they had as much money as the New York Dolans, but they don't. <laughs> we'll uh, give you some so he doesn't recklessly spend it. <laughs> yeah, but at least you got it to spend. Like they that's could trade the thing. for Julius Randle. The Guardians Randall. have no money, and they smartly spend it, but they have none. They don't have much to spend. I'd like to see what they have when they have a lot of money that they could recklessly spend. <laughs> they could sign um, Julius Randle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, at least they're signing because a lot of people are even upset. They really didn't sign anybody. A couple backup catchers. That this offseason and yeah they were in on jock peterson that didn't happen but you're right the pitching staff is the name of the game yeah. shane bieber was hurt most of the last year so aaron savali was banged up they missed zach plesak they're one through three those would be their two, three top starters right there and those guys are, would be one two and three on a lot of baseball teams mm-hmm. they're very very good cal quantrell will probably be their fourth starter he was a bullpen guy that really shined because they just had so many injuries they had to throw him in the starting rotation he pitched really well they've got a younger guy tristan mckenzie that got some good experience we'll see if he rounds it out but the question is it always will be will be the lineup and it is jose ramirez they have framil reyes who's going to be their dh miles straw will be your leadoff guy in center field they acquired him in a trade he seems to be like a nice piece but there's just a lot of questions at a lot of key positions and that's it that's the lineup pitching staff's fine the bullpen will be all right class a is pretty good it's going to be the bats it's going to be what that lineup can do and knowing that you know in a baseball season you're probably going to miss one of your starters for a good chunk of time. It's just how baseball goes. So you're going to need somebody else to fill in, but could be the last year for Terry Francona. Mm. You know, he took off the last month plus last year because of health related things. Sounds like he's in a better spot. The guardians, they always push off the rebuild. They never really fully rebuild. They just kind of add a piece here, add a piece there. But I do think this is a rebuilding team. I'm a little worried to see maybe how the season goes. Do you like the, a lot of the new rules, the universal DH and the shifts and rules like that? The DH is what it is. I see why, you know, baseball, that's more money for some players. 
players. And I know you have your Madison Bumgarners who can hit a little bit. You got your Zach Rankies and stuff. But I don't want to see these pitchers just up there just wailing and whacking away. The only thing I'll miss is the strategy, right? Like a manager doing the double switch and what are we doing here? So that is what it is. I'm a baseball purist and people would want to say, well, then you should be for the shift. And I didn't like it. I'm actually glad they got rid of it. That's why I love you because everybody's been attacking me all over social media because I've been saying, I am so happy baseball got rid of this shift because it's going to make baseball more offensive. That's what you want to see, more offensive baseball. They want hits. The players themselves are all for it because they're costing themselves money, records, bonuses, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff because what should have been a hit in the shallow right field, it's now an out because Mm -hmm. they shift it over. And I understand people that are saying, oh, learn to go the other way. I mean, if anybody's ever played the game, it's hard enough to try to hit a ball the other way, let alone when the pitcher is purposely trying to not let you do that. And it's 96 miles an hour and they're snapping off curveballs. So I was actually for it. I know some people aren't because they should be allowed to do whatever you want, but I'm glad baseball got rid of that. Sad to see it kind of took as long as it did and a lot of the knockout drag out stuff, but I'm glad the season will go on. I like the Universal DH. I actually like a lot of the rules that they made. The only thing I wish they would have done, which would have helped the Guardians, they didn't, was some sort of salary cap and floor. Forced them to spend money, but they didn't do that. So I got to take some good, not all good. As everybody knows, we are talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host, Matt Fontana. Matt, thank you for joining us. We're really happy that you joined us because you're awesome. We love you coming on. And as always, a friend of the show. We'd love to be a friend of your show. I listened to your show the other day. You guys are great. You guys know what you're talking about over there in Cleveland. And we're very happy to have you as a guest again on our show. Anytime, guys. Thanks so much. Tell the fans how they can follow you on social media. At Matt Fontaine 83. Drop me a follow there and you'll get a little bit of sports and a lot of Batman. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, guys. The great Matt Fontana, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic segment with him. Really got his ins and his outs on this Deshaun Watson. Not surprised that he didn't like the Deshaun Watson move because of all his criminal background and everything that's going on off the field. You can't be very happy. And Plus, he likes Baker Mayfield. He's the face of this organization and the fact that they gave up on this kid after a season of just bad luck. It's unbelievable. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking some baseball. Spring training is here. Pitchers, catchers, outfielders. Yes, the whole team. When we come back, we'll get into some Yankees and Mets conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. A little old school music. This is the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. March Madness has been fantastic. Almost all the number ones are out. Arizona getting knocked out the other day. Gonzaga getting knocked out on the same night. Fantastic. Fun to watch. And my Duke Blue Devils, Elite Eight. Mm. How could you not be excited about that? So definitely something to look forward to. And maybe Coach K surprises the world and wins the national championship and walks off into the sunset and gives the game and his team to Coach Shire, which I'm not very happy. <laughs> they got the biggest monkey wrench out of the way in their region in Texas Tech, and that proves a lot. Really the only big team left, I think, for them 
in the main part of the bracket is Purdue, which they would face in the Final Four. I think they could beat anybody else like pretty legitimately with their talents. And Houston looks good. Houston I mean, it's fun. Really and when we get Moneyline Mania together tonight, I'm sure you guys are going to want to hear their choices and their picks. And by the way, they've been dead on with their picks. Must listen to, guys, if you're a, a better and you like to parlay and bet on sports using Sportsbook or DraftKings or whatever the heck you're using. You have to listen to this segment, Moneyline Mania. It's the best segment right now in the business and my guys my handicappers are the best in the world so definitely check out that segment coming up very soon in the show baseball this whole freeman thing is really taking a course in a conversation chipper jones speaks out saying freeman was the one who walked away from the the braves that he turned his back on the braves the braves wanted to resign him he had no thoughts of resigning with the braves i know a lot of people were saying that the braves could have locked him in if they wanted him that's not true chipper jones obviously has an inside source that freeman did not want to come back. He wanted to go to the Dodgers. He wanted to go home. Muncie and some of the guys over there that are very close with him and train with him in the offseason wanted him there. He had no thoughts of coming back to the Braves. He was always planning to go to the Dodgers. And yes, he had no thoughts of playing for the Yankees when the Yankees offered him a four-year contract. So it was Dodgers or nothing for Freeman. And Chipper Jones is not very happy about what Freeman did, leaving the Braves to hang. But they added Olsen. He's not Freeman. He's a younger Freeman. So maybe Olsen coming to the National League from the American League will only make him better than what he was last year, which, by the way, he was an MVP candidate. Not a bad move for the Braves, but they gave up a lot. So Pache was one of their top prospects. Actually, I think it was their best overall hitting prospect. So that's going to be a tough loss for them. He had trouble hitting, but they brought back all their outfielders, so there might be no spot for him anyway. Still, Olsen was phenomenal. Actually hit for a better batting average than previous years at 279. And yes, was an MVP candidate for quite a while. Top five. It gets lost in the kind of year because of the year Vlad Jr. and Otani had. (laughs) That it just, you weren't thinking it. It was basically that two-horse race. And now coming to the National League, it's going to definitely change The biggest thing is it gets out of that ballpark. Oakland's a huge pitching park. But as far as the Yankees are concerned, this whole Carlos Correa thing, a lot of Yankee fans are upset that the Yankees are being cheap right now. That the Yankees aren't making the moves. Carlos Correa gets a three-year, $105 million contract. Uh, The Yankees can't afford $105 million. Carlos Correa is getting paid $31 million a year. Now, Carlos Correa is a great shortstop, one of the top three shortstops in baseball. But the Yankees feel, and I don't blame the Yankees, they are stocked up with shortstops. Parisa, Vol. Pay, and then they just brought in probably the best prospect international player in all of the world from the Dominican Republic. The Yankees are stacked at that position. Now, they could have brought him in for three years, but it's not going to take that much longer for Volpe to be called up a prize where they'll be the future for this organization. So... Am I hurt that Brian Cashman didn't make the move? No, but this is the way the Yankees are going now. The Yankees are not going to overspend for players for no reason. That's not the way the Yankees want to go now. They want to build through the farm system. They have some pieces. Yankee fans keep forgetting. They're paying John Carlos Stanton $300 million. Garrett Cole, $300 million. That's $600 million for two players. They're not too fond of John Carlos Stanton. He's one of the top 10 power hitters in baseball. He was MVP. Garrett Cole is a Cy Young candidate every year. So to say that the Yankees aren't spending money is a ridiculous statement. They've done a lot of switching around this offseason. You saw the Josh Donaldson series. They swapped Gary Sanchez. They dropped Urshela and then trade for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who's an infield-type guy. They also bring in Marwin Gonzalez recently, too. So, I like that move, by the way. Yeah, it's not a bad move for the utility purpose. Who could play multiple positions. And he's a switch hitter, too. So it's not a bad idea to try to experiment with depth because the Yankees have been very injury-prone the last couple of years, especially with their core pieces. So Marwin won a World Series. Definitely the experience could help there, too. Depth is 
something the Yankees have had good amounts of, but sometimes it hasn't panned out with the prospects and also getting injured as well. You saw that with Floreal. We've seen that with Gleyber Torres since he's come up. I think the expected expectation versus the reality hasn't been there, so they brought it more in a veteran sense this offseason, too. Now, Donaldson's a hefty contract, and hopefully he can get back it's to two the, years. It's not bad for the year's length. Because $25 million. The Yankees got to hope that at least he can come back in the form of the in American that lineup, League. In that ballpark especially, I think it'll definitely help him get back to that. Because In twins, that lineup, he's never been protected like that. The Blue Jays, when he was there, you definitely saw it as MVP peak year when he is around that kind of talent around him, Batista and Carnacion like he had there. The Yankees have it similar when healthy with Stanton and Judge, This is too. a better lineup. It's a more balanced lineup, absolutely, because the, the Blue Jays, when he was there, was kind of top-heavy, where they didn't really have the depth like the Yankees do when healthy. We'll see if he does it worthy of the contract, but it's, it's two years. It's not bad for them to get out of, and they could pay their young players at the end of that. I love the move with Donaldson, and, and putting him in the middle of that lineup. If he's hot, you could put him at three, you could put him at four. You have Aaron Judge, you have Giancarlo Stanton, you have Gleyber Torres playing second base, DJ LeMayu. What lineup is better than the Yankees lineup? I mean, the Dodgers are right there with them, but in the American League, the Yankees probably have the best lineup in all of the American League, especially for power. It's not scary until you step in that box and you have to face these back-to-back batters. Donaldson is going to see more pitches, better pitches. The question is, is he going to stay healthy? Even last year, he didn't even play the whole season. He still had 26 home runs and 72 RBIs, and he was on a team that, let's be honest, was not protecting him. Now you're going to a team that you're going to be batting either fifth or sixth, maybe even fourth, around Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. That's fantastic. He is going to see a lot more pitches, and I know Yankee fans, it wasn't like Carlos Correa. He's a better player than Carlos Correa. He's a good defensive player, but he's not Carlos Correa good. He's but lost a step a little. Offensively, though, he's got better numbers than Carlos Correa. He's a better hitter than Carlos Correa. I know Carlos Correa hits for average more. Carlos Correa no over won an MVP. This guy was an MVP candidate for four years, and he won an MVP. Now, obviously, he's 36 years old. He's not something that he was five, six years ago. He still can hit 30 home runs a season. He still can give you 100 RBIs. And if you put them him in the middle of the line, but he gives you that. And by the way, he's a good playoff hitter. He's great in Yankee Stadium. 15 home runs in Yankee Stadium. Over a 300 hitter right now in Yankee Stadium. Brian Cashman wouldn't have brought him in if he didn't think he fit. It's a good chance for a, a culture change, too, because he was great with the Braves, but then struggled with the Twins. So which end of it? Could stay healthy with the Twins. He had 26 home runs and 72 no, RBIs. I, I meant compared to the Braves, but even so, they were able to get a good trade chip as well because a lot of people were concerned about what they were going to get with the Gary Sanchez. His market was very questionable as well, based on his defense, based on his regression as a on-base percentage and batting average type guy. He was striking out a lot, and he really wasn't developing like he should. So a lot of people didn't think the Yankees were going to get a lot for Gary Sanchez. So they were able to get a good piece with Donaldson. Isaiah kiner Falefa is another one that I think is very underrated too. He only played 135 games, which is 162 games in a season. If he were to play 162 games, he probably would have averaged 600 at-bats. He had 26 home runs in 45 Five less games. If he played in those 45 games, he would have hit 35 to 40 home runs this year. And he would have had over 100 RBIs. Donaldson still has it. And you put him in a lineup with the Yankees, that's only going to make him better. The Yankees lineup are way better right now than the Twins are. Yes, he's a little bit older. Donaldson is a professional hitter. He's not going to hit a 300 average. His best year was 301. He's hit 297, 255, 270. He's still batting where he usually bats when it comes to batting average. He's a power hitter that gets you RBIs, and that's what the Yankees love. He doesn't strike out a lot. Right. That's the biggest thing I like about it is he doesn't strike out a lot, and he could be a good influence to a lot of those young Only 114 strikeouts right. last year. Defensively, I don't think he's been the same as since he was in Oakland, but still, he still could be a stalwart at third base, or they could also 
platoon him in different spots too. Because if they they could put Lemayhu at third, they could put Lemayhu at short. Marwan Gonzalez, same kind of thing too, and Kiner Falefa. All those guys can move around the infield too. So you don't have to pressure Josh Donaldson into being an all the time third baseman either, so he doesn't wear his body out at 36 years old. With the Yankees' power all around the roster, all around the diamond, look at it. They have Donaldson who can hit you 30 and 100. Giancarlo that can hit you 30 and 100. Aaron Judge that can hit you 30 and 100. G.J. LeMayu can hit you close to 25 and almost 100 RBIs. Gleyber Torres can hit you 30 and 100. This is a good roster. This is a good lineup. It's not going to be easy throughout the season. And Aaron Hicks is coming back this year. Joey Gallo can hit you 30 and 100. Anthony Rizzo can hit you 30 and 100 this year in a full season. So the Yankees lineup is stacked. And anybody could sit here and say, oh, the Yankees aren't good this year. Get out of here. There's not many lineups that could be compared to the Yankees lineup. Even Chapman landing with the Blue Jays, where everybody's just like salivating on the Blue Jays lineup. The Blue Jays lineup is still not as good as the Yankees lineup. Not even close with the power in their lineup. So I don't know why people are jumping off a bridge about the Yankees this year. Relief pitching, I don't think the Yankees are done relief pitching. There's still a lot of good relief pitchers available. As a Yankee fan, you should be very excited this year. They are a playoff team. It's not even an argument. Extra team now. They definitely should get in. They could win the division this year. With that lineup, they just got to stay healthy. That's That's the one thing that concerns me with them. But now adding Donaldson, it just gives you another power bat. If Aaron Judge gets hurt, John Collins gets hurt, you're still going to get your home runs and your power in Yankee Stadium with Josh Donaldson. Anthony Volpe's played three games, and he has four at-bats, two strikeouts, but what he did in the fall league, I expect him to win the job. Now, obviously, he's not going to start the season. They brought in Kainer Falefa, who's a good defensive player, not much of a hitter. but No, he's a contact stolen base guy. Yeah, but the so Yankees need something like that. The Yankees are going to expect Volpe or Pariza to move up one way or another from AAA, so I expect one of these guys and see one of these guys this year mid-season. So Volpe could absolutely make the team. By the way, his birthday's April 28th, a day before my birthday, so like that as well. He's a Taurus. As far as the Mets are concerned, they've looked good so far in spring training. Max Scherzer throwing the ball very well. Jacob DeGroms looks sensational. This lineup is going to be a pretty good lineup. Are they a Dodger lineup? No. Lindor hit a home run the other day. He looks pretty good. He looks a lot better than he did. He looked lost last year. I expect him to be a much better this year, especially in a better lineup. You're hitting Marte, Cano. They have some good hitters in their lineup, and I think this is a lineup that absolutely has an opportunity to be a pretty good lineup. contact lineup too and a lineup that can actually steal bases and hit for power are they the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Blue? No, the Mets are not that. They're a pitching team. With this pitching staff, they should be in every game. Now, they can't expect Max Scherzer to play more than 30 games and DeGrom to play more than 30 games this year. So they have to win those games when those guys are on the mound. If you can win most of those games, let's say Scherzer pitches 30 games and DeGrom pitches 30 games, which he hasn't in a while. Both players can win 20 games. That's 40 games. That puts you in a very good position to win 90 games. So I expect both pitchers to have good seasons. I I believe Carrasco will have a bounce back this year. Bassett, he had a good season last year. I think it was 15 and 4. He was an all-star that he just they got struck with a bad line drive and that hindered his season. Hopefully he doesn't deteriorate after that because he's 33 years old, but I still, still a good pitcher. He's still a good pitcher. He doesn't pitch for power. He's not a power pitcher. Right. So he's an off-speed pitcher with a good curveball and changeup. So I expect the Mets to be very good this year and a playoff team, especially for coming from the National League East, which still has the Braves, which I don't know if they got better, but they didn't get any worse. And Anna Kakunya, I expect both teams to be fairly good this year. I think the Yankees could be better than the Mets just because of the lineup. That lineup is scary, man. Yeah, it's just a matter of staying healthy. That's the question. But the same thing with the Mets, too. But even if they don't stay, let's say... 
John Carlo and Judge is out for a significant amount of time. They have Donaldson. They have Rizzo. They have Gallo. They have power all over that lineup. They have arguably five of the top 20 power hitters in baseball. Can they get more besides power, though, will be the other thing that makes it. They don't more... need it. They can win games. Now, in the playoffs, it's going to be different. Right, that's what I'm talking but about. But that, that doesn't matter because at the trade deadline, they can make a move. You forget that there's 162 games. If the Yankees need players that can hit for average, they can make a trade at the trade deadline. Right now, they can win with strictly power. And now that there's no shift anymore, these guys are going to hit for average, too. If you're a Yankee fan, you should be very, very excited going into the season because I think the Yankees are going to absolutely hit for average. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some basketball and hockey here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We could get it to basketball. We have the playoffs right around the corner. So the Knicks are the 11th seed. It looks like they're going to miss the playoffs. The one thing that you can be very excited about is the growth of R.J. Barrett. He's turned out to be the player that they expected to be. He's averaging close to 20 points a game this year. This is his third year. Every year he's gotten better. His first year, 14 and about 8. Last year, he was 17 and about 9. And now this year, he's right there. He's got 20 and 7. So if you want to see growth with this young kid, you're finding out that this kid could be the real deal. Now, next year, you expect him to score 24 and 25 and slowly get a little bit better. He's going to be 22 next year. So this is exciting to watch. Finally find a young player that the Knicks drafted turn out to be hopefully the next superstar for this organization, something that the Knicks haven't had for a very long time. You should be excited. Now, the whole Julius Randle thing and the contract, you can't be happy right now. Now, has he played better since the All-Star break? Yes, he has. He's averaging 20 and 10, five assists. Those aren't bad numbers. Double-double a game is not bad numbers. The problem is is his his shooting percentage, and his statistics weren't what it was last year. He was comeback player of the year last year. This year, he's, I would say, disappointment of the year, player that wants to ruin a team of the year. I mean, whatever you want to say that he is, but... I think the Knicks in the offseason have to definitely look at him and see what they can get for him. Now, I think you could get something for him. You dangle him around in the offseason. You see what team needs a guy that can give you 20 and 10. And then you try to trade him. Try to bring in another player that will fit with R.J. Barrett. Maybe a point guard if you're not going to draft one. Or a small forward or a shooting guard that can help R.J. Barrett out. I really would have thought like a C.J. McCollum would have fit with the Knicks. Maybe for a Julius Randle. Maybe a Damian Lillard. But he, I don't see Damian Lillard going anywhere now that C.J. McCollum is is gone and he's playing for the, the Pelicans. So... Uh, the Knicks are going to have to figure out what they're going to do in the offseason and how they're going to go with this. But I think Julius Randle needs to go. And as much as I loved him when they decided to bring him in as a coach, I think Tom Thibodeau, they're going to have to really decide if Tom Thibodeau is the guy and the right guy to move forward with this organization and this team. And the only reason why I say that is I don't think they're ready to win now. And I think Tom Thibodeau is more of a ready-to-win-now type of coach. I think the Knicks need to bring in a veteran coach that understands how to work with young players. Grimes looks like he's a good player. 
player. He really does. When he's on the court, I've been impressed with him. Obi Toppin, it was spurts this year that I've been very impressed with him. I, I want to see more Miles McBride. We haven't seen enough of him. Emmanuel Quickly's played well, too, this yep. year. So you're seeing some of these young players develop. You want to see more of them. And I just don't know if the... Tom Thibodeau's of the world is going to develop. Emmanuel Quickly is averaging 10 points a game. Last year, he averaged 8. I think he could be another C.J. McCollum if you get him enough touches. So he's not a point guard, and he's an underside shooting guard. So they got to figure out a spot for Emmanuel Quickly. Maybe he is a six-man off the bench. But if he can give you 20 points as a six-man, you got yourself something to brag about. So I think the Knicks need to figure out where their identity lies. But R.J. Barrett is not something to cry about going into the offseason. You should be very excited. The growth of where this kid's going to be. Is he a John Morant? He's not a John Morant. Not yet. Could he be? We'll see. John Moran has transformed his team. Could he do that with the Knicks? I don't know. But what I could say is it's taking him a little bit longer to develop fully as a player like John Moran. But John Moran uses his game with speed and ability to jump. We'll see as RJ develops more of a shot where he can develop into as a player. As far as Zion, Zion right now is going to miss another full season of basketball. And slowly but surely, as much as I like the kid, maybe people are right about his weight. Maybe people are right about him not staying healthy as an NBA player, which is a shame because he's got all the ability and all the talent in the world. All three guys were playing good basketball, and, and if all three of them were playing at the same time in as many games as all of them were playing, I, I think you could say they're all not busts. So No, I think they're both all talented. When it comes to Zion's on-court performance, it's still been very good in his career, and he, again, he doesn't really have any non-physical lapses in his game. It's not like he's one-dimensional in terms of he can't play defense or he can't shoot whatever. Yeah, his shooting isn't his strength, but it's not as bad as people were making it out to be out of the NBA draft. So Barrett's definitely grown his game a lot too. And finally, 20 points a game, man. Finally getting the chances to be the number one option. If RJ was the number one guy all season long, he would be averaging more points. Because we've seen RJ score 40 points this year, a bunch of games with 30 or more points. He almost had a 50-point game this year. Right. So he can be that guy. It's just Julius Randle has been hogging the ball. And RJ Barrett's been more efficient than Julius Randle has. So yeah, absolutely. I think they need to find ways to get RJ the ball and see what RJ can do as his efficiency grows. 41 overall, but his three-point is at 35, and his adjusted field goal is 47, which is still pretty good, too. So it's it's a good step in the right direction in terms of efficiency. But this is where I was going to get at with Randall. You want to talk about a team derailer? Wednesday's game against the Hornets. Seven different players were in double figures. R.J. Barrett had a 30-point game in that one. Obi Toppin, who should be playing more, had his best game of the season probably. 18 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. And would you see that with Julius Randle on the court? No. Julius Randle is on, he's off. He's cold, he's hot, he's cold, he's hot, he's cold, he's hot. He's not efficient. And and that's why he can't be on this team. They need efficiency. R.J. Barrett, ever since he's become the number one target, he's been efficient. Really since the second half of the season. He might have had two real really bad games. And even those two really big games, he still averaged about 12, 13 points. Right. When he's efficient, he's scoring 20 points, 25 points. I guarantee you RJ will average next year, if he's the number one guy, 26 points again. I think he's that type of player. RJ could do that. As he gets more efficient, he remember, he's only 21 years old. They cannot trade him. Now, we've been hearing about Donovan Mitchell. You cannot trade RJ Barrett for Donovan Mitchell. You have to do everything you can to keep RJ there and bring Donovan Mitchell to yep. play with RJ. Then you have something. 
Then you have two efficient young guys. Donovan, who's only 25, he's getting to that prime start of his career where if you have a young RJ that's going to be 22, 23, and a Donovan Mitchell, you got a one-two punch right there. Then you find another guy. Then you have something. Then you have something to say, wow, the Knicks got a guy like an RJ that can average 25. You have a Donovan Mitchell that can average 30. That's almost 50 points a game. That's almost 60 points a game for two players. That's where you win. And that's what the Knicks need. As far as the Nets are concerned, I think the Nets will be dangerous just because of the roster that they have. And now that Kyrie Irving can play home games, they have moved up one spot, but not by much. Charlotte is right behind them by one. Brooklyn could play that one game and get knocked out. And who are they matched up with? I right now the Hornets, and then they would play the winner of the Raptors and Hawks if they do win. I don't think they want to play the Raptors, and I, I don't want to play the I don't Hawks. think you want to play the Hawks at all. Trey Young. Trey Young, Trey Young in New York. Yeah, he knows yeah. how to take over, unfortunately. He, he likes to attack the Knicks fans. I don't know about the Nets fans. Well, no, but he doesn't need to attack Nets fans because they don't exist. By the way, the Phoenix Suns are just unbelievable. They're just unbelievable. I don't know if they can be beaten in a seven-game series. They're my favorites to win the whole thing this year. I cannot see them lose. And by the way, the Lakers are still at that last spot. They're hanging on. You don't want to play the Lakers. Minnesota right now would be matched up against the Lakers. Minnesota want to play the Lakers. If the Lakers somehow get into the playoffs... You do not want to play them. But as far as the Brooklyn Nets, Ben Simmons should be some way or another in the next week or two on that roster. That does make them better. Defensively, it definitely makes them better. Especially if you're going to move on and you have to play Milwaukee, you have to play Philadelphia. You want Ben Simmons for that Philadelphia series. The Celtics, too, who have played very well in the second half, been one of the hottest teams in all of basketball, especially Tatum, who's been an MVP candidate in the second half of the season. Unbelievable season he's had from bad to rocky to great. Boston is dangerous, man. Don't count them out. And maybe it was because of the new coaching. They had to figure it out. But this is real. This team is really good. And they have two dominant players in Brown and Tatum. So watch out for Boston as well. The Brooklyn Nets have to do whatever it takes to not be a play-in team. Right now, they're three games behind the tide with the Cavs and the Raptors. They're both six and seven right now. If Kyrie Irving plays enough of those home games, there's six home games left, they could make it up. But they need a lot of those teams to lose, too. And there's not many games to do it. So still will be very difficult, too. And what sucks about that, they don't have home court advantage either, which definitely benefits the home team because it's very hard to win on the road. But really, in the last two years in the playoffs, it's usually the away team that wins the home. Finally more parity. I'm very interested to see what the Brooklyn Nets do moving forward. As far as hockey's concerned, I know Ranger fans are jumping for joy with some of the moves and the acquisitions they made. Speedy, why don't you tell the fans, the defensemen, they added no center help, which I was very surprised for a Ranger team that has done very bad at the face-off level. Yeah, Andrew Kopp was a guy that can play center and has played center at certain points in his career for Winnipeg, but isn't the great, great center. They're going to use him as a winger. I think they have to use him as a center just because they have more wing depth, but they're going to maneuver him around. Now, what I do like about him is he can win faceoff. He has a good percentage, 54, just in a smaller sample. He still wins about 300 a year, which is still good, but he hits too, and I think that's a good player for the Rangers. Now, I think he was a bit pricey to get two second-round picks, that conditional first-round pick if the Rangers win two playoff series, and Kopp plays 50% of the games, and Morgan Barron, who was a good fourth liner for them. So that was a bit pricey, but still is a good player that they definitely could need, and I think could get better because he can hit, too. He hasn't hit as much this year, but I think that's a new coach as well. It could make a difference with that. Justin Braun was the defenseman you were referring to. They get him from the Flyers just for a third-round pick. It's a leadership-type thing. He's a veteran-type guy that has some good playoff experience. Nothing special. He's going to be a second- or third-pair defenseman. Don't tell that to Tyler. But it's still definitely something that they could use because a lot of their defensemen, Young all at once, with Schneider, with Zach 
Jones, DeAndre Miller. So if they want to make a playoff push, you could definitely use that kind of guy. And then uh, Nick Merkley, another guy they got from the Sharks as well, just swapped for Anthony Potato, a veteran defenseman who hasn't played much this year anyway. So that was really not much of anything. I don't even expect him to play much. But again, Cop and Braun were the two guys that they really were going for. As far as the Islanders are concerned, anybody that thinks the Islanders are going to make the playoffs, they're crazy. Yes, if the Islanders make the playoffs... They're a scary team. You do not want to play the Islanders in the playoffs. Nobody wants to be matched up with them. They're not making the playoffs this year. They signed Zach Parisi for another year because this was a lost year because of the no first-month home games. The COVID situation really affected the Islanders, hurt the Islanders this season. So I expect that Lou wants to run it back again next year. I don't think Chara will be back, but this whole team will be back. Clutterbuck will be back. They signed to a two-year extension, but not by big money. They gave Clutterbuck, I think, $2.5 million. It's not a lot of money. The Islanders still have money to spend in the offseason. I expect them to go after a big name, a big offensive player. They're going to be a better team team next year with that. I know Islander fans are hurt that the Islanders were one of the favorites to go to the Stanley Cup this year. They've fallen out of the favoritism, but are the Islanders completely out? They're not completely out. I just can't see the Islanders winning out their games and getting into the playoffs. Now, I could be wrong, and if the Islanders make the playoffs, it would be one of the greatest comebacks in NHL history. I can honestly say that. for sure. Nobody will want to play the Islanders. Not Carolina, not Pittsburgh, not the Rangers, not Florida, not Toronto, not Tampa. (laughs) Definitely not Pittsburgh. Have you You seen the last two series? (laughs) They don't want to play the Islanders. It's hard to believe the Islanders are going to make up 18 points when all these teams got to lose. Yeah, it's going to be hard. 15 points to the Capitals and 18 points to the Lightning now in the wild card spot, believe it or not. Yeah, that's going to be next to impossible to make up. They're going to need both of those teams or one of those teams to go on a losing streak and then they have to win out because the game at hand isn't as drastic anymore. It's only three, which for that little amount of points is going to be difficult. Now, the Islanders at the trade deadline kind of stayed pat. We thought they were going to deal Varlamov. They, you know why they did that, because they know they're not making the playoffs. Right. But I was still expecting them to deal Varlamov. I think the wild trade with Flurry, they were expected to be one of the targets. That kind of threw a monkey wrench into that kind of thing, where they were expecting him to go to Vegas and then another vacancy to open up, and that didn't happen. I don't think the Vegas Golden Knights were interested in Varlamov as much with the contract that he has. They just wanted to bring back a familiar face. So once they didn't do that, that was out of it. And really, I don't think any other team had the glaring goaltending issue that said, all right, we want to take that next step. I brought up the Kings last week, but they didn't do the. They still were sticking to staying young and rebuilding and just maybe just overperforming this year. But yeah, the Islanders, I don't blame them for not trading any other forwards. They want to believe they can be a great team as they were expected to be at the beginning of the year. So I don't blame them for not trading any of the forwards at that value. What is the cap set for 80 million? I think 80 million is the overall NHL cap. And right now they've used six. 60 million, 21 million to spare. So in the offseason, the Islanders have a chance to add an offensive player or two offensive players if they really want to. Right. I expect the Islanders to make moves for 2023. And they only have three unrestricted free agents next year. Zidane Ochara, old man, he'll probably be gone. Is Andy Green, old man, gone. And then Sebastian Ajo. Those are really the only three. So everyone else is signed. I think they signed Sebastian Ajo. He's a young player. Yeah. And I expect Roddy to make the team next year. And they have to give him a contract. You're not going to pay him a lot. I think they're paying him $800,000 right now as he speak. And Reese Nurker, another guy that was a big prospect for the Islanders offensively, who expect might make the team next year. Roddy, definitely. He will make the team next year. But I think the Islanders will still make a move for a big name. If you look at the cap, Anders Lee is making the most money. 
Ryan Pulak's making six million. Brock Nelson making five. Pellick making five. Palmieri five. five. Parjo's making four and a half. Josh Bailey making three and a half. Anthony Bolivier making four. Soroki making four. Casey Kasisikis making two five. Clutterbuck making one point seven five. Yes, yep. and Matt making one point five, and then Ross making one point one. Falamov will be gone, so yes. they have money to spare. Sixty million right now in a cap. Cap max is eighty one million. So. They've got twenty million to spare. They could possibly get two guys if they wanted to. If they want, I don't know if they'll. Do I don't it. think they will either. But I'm just saying it's an option. I think Lou will go after one. They need somebody to help out their star. They have to decide where they want to go. And all those other guys are signed. Parisi signed everything, so mm-hmm. they're put in a very good position to bring in another superstar, maybe two superstars, to help them out and maybe make a run next year. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, where do we have Speedy Money Line Mania with Chaz and the crew? When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a tournament this has been. It's crazy. St. Peter's is moving on to the Elite Eight. And why not have these guys, the handicappers, the top and the best of the best out there on the show as we do this? Every single week, we call this segment Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania with Chaz and the crew. We're in an unbelievable movement when it comes to this tournament. Duke's still in it. UNC still in it. Then you have Villanova on the other side, Kansas, Houston, and St. Peter's. It's unbelievable. Those are the six teams that really stick out to me. Obviously, there are other teams still in this tournament. But those are the six teams that really are the front runners to get into that Final Four. But why not get into the conversation with the picks, the money lines, and everything with Chaz. What's going on, Chaz? Everybody that I know is a Peacock fan. Peacock fans are coming out of the work. Everybody's a Peacock fan. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. I've never heard of the school, and now everybody's talking about St. Peter's. My son, who's a pretty good basketball fan, texted me that it was National Peacock Day, and they were playing, and they keep getting points. We talked about it, Jonathan, when they were getting nine, nine and a half. Who's going to not take nine and a half? Then they're getting 13. Now they're getting eight. I mean, it's just crazy. I took Purdue I honestly thought the run was over. Got bit back by the Peacocks, and I'm happy. I still had a winning day. I went two and one. I just honestly just not think that run was going to keep going, but they got guys like Banks and Edder, and every time they need a shot, this team is making them. I was telling somebody the other day, I don't think the shots that they made against like Murray State. When Murray State was coming back, anytime they needed a shot, Eddard made it. Step back three, drop any other situation in regular season, he's not making those shots. But right now, they're just unstoppable. Everything they hit, they're making. They need a bucket, they make a bucket. They need a stop, they get a stop. It's a crazy, crazy run. I don't know how much longer it's going to go, but it's a crazy, crazy run. I thought they were going to get screwed over by the refs because there was a traveling call. They didn't call oh, at yeah. the very end, and it was turned out to be a three-point play. I'm like, okay, here it comes. I'm a, I'm a soccer guy, so I know when refs are going to be screwing you over. And then after that, they went on that run, so I'm glad for St. Peter's, dude. I'm happy. I also think that when you look at the big picture, if St. Peter's wins the national championship, John, you were saying it before we came 
came into the segment that this could be the greatest seeded position team to go all the way and, and really one of the greatest sports stories of all time. So when you look at what St. Peter's has done, I didn't expect them to be where they are. And I don't think anybody did. You were talking about somebody on Twitter that had them all the way to the national championship or something like that. He's right now up 150000 or something like that. Well, that's what it pays. It's you know? a lot of money up there. Besides Murray State, Murray State is a, that mid-major program that had a great year. But if you look at who they're going to beat on the way to a national championship, you're looking at Kentucky, Blue Blood Program, Purdue, a big-time mm-hmm. program. North Carolina will be a, a big Blue Blood Program. Duke, if they get past North Carolina. You're looking at – they're going to be four, five big Blue Blood Programs and whoever gets out on the other side. So if they win, which very highly unlikely, but if they do, it would top almost like the miracle on ice. Like it would be this kind of big – underdog making the unthinkable happen. Talk yeah. about playing with house yeah. money right now, dude. Appetizers on that Monday game, if they make it to the final, it doesn't matter what happens. If they make it to the final and you're advertising on that game, you're getting a good deal for your advertising buck because people eyeballs are going to be on that screen. Hector, you mentioned play with house money. Their attendance in their home opener in the regular season was 434 people. <laughs> How many did they have watching the game? They had more people like cheering them at the gymnasium. The other day. It's their whole student section. It's like everyone's there. <laughs> <laughs> Every student that's there is just packed with that gym. Jonathan made a good point though, guys. When you're talking about sports betting, you have to look at numbers, right? And it's all about numbers, but you got to be careful and you can't look at the wrong numbers. So when you look at a team over a season and you got averages for, you know, rebounds, points allowed, shooting percentage, whatever your number is, it doesn't matter. You got to say, how much of that do I use here in the dance and how much do I say I'm going to let that go and for me I'm not focusing on St. Peter regular season I'm focusing on their numbers the last three games so everybody that I'm going to talk about today I'm breaking it down this is what I've got now doesn't matter what I had in the conference tournament doesn't matter what I had during the regular conference season This is what I got now. That's what I'm betting my money on, what I got now. So why don't we get into it? We get into the tournament, the game. Speedy, you ready? Mm -hmm. All right, let's go. The first game is the aforementioned Arkansas versus Duke game. Remember how important this play is because this is your seed money. This is what I call your 103.9 seed money. Now, do we give you winners every single week? No. But usually we do, and then you could take that money. You can maybe parlay it with some stuff for Sunday that we're going to talk about. I know last week. I hit my first three bets, and I asked him my first three-teamer. And once you start playing with house money, I ended up going three and three on my game picks, but I ended up winning for the day, and it's because how I bet. It's not necessarily who you bet. It's, it's how you bet. I'm telling you right now, this game is, is exciting for me for a couple reasons. One is, of course, Coach K, right? Nice. How would you not get emotional? Can Duke and St. Peter's play? That would be like <laughs> the trinity of an NCAA championship. The game. perfect spoiler to the dream Duke-UNC right, matchup. Right. Leave it to 15 seed at St. Peter's. Here's what, I, what I'm seeing. I, I'm seeing Duke is shooting really, really well. I like Duke here. Remember, this game is going to start. It's minus four. It's going to start. Pay attention to this game. If the game comes down to the end of the game, I got to have my money on somebody. I'm going to have my money on Coach K. I mean, he was going for, what, 101 tournament wins. So I would really like to get this money line. There's a lot of points to me, but I'm going to have a little bit of that. I'm probably going to have a little money line. I'll tell you. I think it's like minus 190. So one of the bets that I do, I put $190 down on Duke. And then I also bet $75 on Duke, minus four. So as long as they win the game, I make a couple bucks. If they cover, 
I look like a genius. That's my play. It's so interesting because when you look at this tournament, any team that is up a significant amount of points going into the second half usually has won. It's been a crazy, crazy tournament. If you're within five points going into the second half, especially Duke. If Duke is down going into the second half, I still think Duke could win. If they're down by 9 or 10 points going into the second half, they're going to lose. I think if this game is close, it is positioned for Duke to win this game. So I think if the game is close going into the second half, I pick Duke. I think Duke goes to the championship. If they beat Arkansas, they go to the Final Four. Whoever they play, UNC, St. Peter's, they're going to beat them. Duke wins this game, if, especially if the game is close. Coach K in this tournament, every single game that has been close, even with Michigan State, they should have lost that Michigan State game. But they were down by four or five with two and a half minutes left. And who are you going to bet on? You're going to bet on Izzo or you're going to bet on Coach K? Coach K has won five national championships. This could be his six. Everybody knows I'm a Duke fan. I would love to see him fly or run or whatever you want to say, move into the dust of retirement. I'm not excited about Coach Shire, that's for sure. But to at least have the experience to see another national championship before Coach Shire takes over and absolutely ruins this team. I'm going to have to hop on and be a complete opposite of you guys. <laughs> I think St. Peter's has done something for Arkansas that nobody's talking about. They're not talking about Arkansas. And what Arkansas has done has been nothing short of incredible. They beat the number one scoring team in Gonzaga. They handled them wire to wire. I think they were down 22-17. to 17. Once it took the lead, that was it. Musselman is a really, really good coach. Arkansas has not been a back-to-back Sweet 16 since the mid-90s. He's took them back-to-back Elite Eights in three years there. He's been to the Sweet 16 three years in the last five, because remember, he took Nevada there. He's been to the tournament every year for the last five, six seasons that he's coached. He is a really good coach. One thing about him, sometimes his teams tend to start slow. They're never out of it. They were down 22 to Cincinnati when he was at Nevada, came all the way back to win that game. They were down 26 to Tennessee, come back, they lose by four. They were down against Gonzaga, came back and won that game. He's a really good coach. One thing I can say right now is if you're looking at just numbers and who's covering, Arkansas's covering. Duke is not. Duke is 2-7 and seven in the last nine against the tournament team, 2-7 and seven in the last nine against a team with a winning percentage of 600. Two and five, the last seven overall. And that was the last two games. They had lost five ATS covers before that. You look at Arkansas, they had a bad loss to Hofstra. Since then, has won 18 of 21 games, including beating Kentucky, including beating Tennessee once, including beating Gonzaga. They've covered 15 of the last 21 games. On this season, they're covering at a 63% clip. This team is a team that I think is not getting talked about. And I get it. You're going to get shadowed by Coach K and the greatness that he's brought to Duke. I think that this is going to be an Arkansas game where they, I think, could win the game on the court. Keep it close enough. I think J.D. Note hasn't even had a great tournament game. And he's their star. And they've still been able to control and win these games. I think Arkansas is going to stay within the number. They're going to take down Duke. And it's going to keep it at least within a plus four. So for me... I'm going to hammer Duke. That is my personal biggest bet that I've put on this tournament is going to be on Arkansas tonight. Hector, I don't want to be the party pooper here. That almost convinced me. And I'm not a Duke fan. I hate the evil empire. All evil empires from every sport. You it's hate the team. Yankees, man, Hector. I'm starting to hate you now, Hector. I liked him when they had Rivera. When they had Mariano Rivera, I still like him. 
But yeah, man, I think Duke's got too much firepower. I think this is meant to be a final four between North Carolina and Duke, finally. I love Cinderella stories, Arkansas, St. Peter's, and Sakura. I love them. North Macedonia beating Italy, and they were like super underdogs. Now they got one step away from making the World Cup. In terms of basketball, I think just uh, the Coach K thing, I think they're an overall complete team. And yeah, in terms of the point spread, I'm iffy on the point spread, that's for sure. You know, I think it'll be it'll come down to the wire. Yeah. But I think the experience of Coach K, and I think Arkansas has done such a great job. I don't think we're going to have two St. Peter stories this year. I think it's going to be Duke all the way. So while they were talking, guys, I came up with a name for that wager. I've always had that wager, but I've never called it anything. But because it's part money line, part point spread, I'm going to call it Money Line Mania Special. So when I say to you, going forward for any game for the next forever years, that's a Money Line Mania Special to me. You know that I'm betting a whole unit on the money line and a three quarters of a unit on the point spread this way as long as they win the game. Now, can you lose both of them? It's called gambling, Einstein. Figure it out. Of course you can lose both. <laughs> but what Jonathan said, I listened to. So what I'm going to do with this game, I'm going to pay attention. Remember, this is happening, right? As we get off the air, if Arkansas does get down big, I'm going to hop on Arkansas. Maybe I'll have a situation where I have a middle. When you have a middle, you have both teams or two different bets. You can take it. You have to take it. All right, next game is number 10 Miami, number one Kansas. Let's Jonathan go, but he can't talk as long. I got tired of the last game. <laughs> <laughs> this game's kind of interesting to me because I think Kansas is probably, no offense to any other team, in, they're probably the best team left. When you talk about sheer numbers, who they have, coach, like all around, they're probably the best team remaining in the tournament. I think they edge out Duke by just a little bit. Duke's hasn't really been the best Duke team in this tournament. I think Kansas has. I think they, they are just the best all-around team. But you kind of have a Miami team that's kind of Cinderella themselves, right? So they can score. And that's what's going to happen. If they can keep up and knock down their shots, they can stay within the six. Me personally, I think right now I'm going to lean on Kansas at minus six. I think that they're the better team. They're the more complete team. And if you look at their bracket, it sets up for them to go to the championship game. All the other ones are gone. This is their year. And it's setting up that way. So for me... I'm going to lean on Kansas. I was on Providence last night. That was what you call a never should have covered cover because <laughs> Providence shot 15% in the first half. Could not knock down a three. And I bet that game thinking all, have, all Providence has to do is knock down a three or two and they can stay within that number. That wasn't happening. They got a late run in, but Kansas probably should have covered that game. And I was probably on the wrong side. Not going to make that mistake again. I think Kansas might be the play at minus six. My bracket has been fantastic. I don't know if anybody has followed my bracket on the sports loudmouths, but my final four was Duke, Baylor, Kansas, Villanova. Three out of the four teams look like they're going there. Now, Villanova has to beat Houston, who's one of the hottest teams in the tournament. Kansas still has to get through Miami, knocked off Auburn, where everybody thought Auburn was a Final Four contender as well. Being that Duke has to get through uh, Arkansas tonight, that's another scary situation too. So my bracket's been pretty much dead on. My question here going into this game for Kansas is, are they going to be able to stop a very hot Miami shooting team? Miami played very well defensively against an Auburn team. They stopped arguably the number one pick in the NBA draft in Smith. I think that going into this game, Kansas is going to have to shut down the shooting ability at the three-point line from Miami. Make them beat them 
in the paint. I think Kansas is the better paint team. I think Kansas wins the game. I think it'll be very, very close. Don't bet on that. I think Kansas wins the game. Get themselves into the Final Four. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Kansas is the better team. Miami's a 10 seed. That would make them Cinderella-ish, definitely. But uh, in terms of the completeness of the team, we were talking about Duke and them. I think it's a toss-up, actually. I got nothing more to add. I'm I'm taking Kansas and the minus six. Yeah, one of the things that I looked at, and Miami has right now of these teams in these games, we're talking about the second-best field goal percentage. Duke is shooting 53.5. Miami is shooting 46.07. However, when I look at Kansas got the best defense. Yeah. So I'm going to go with what I do. I'm going to do the six bets a game on this bet. So what I'm doing is I'm taking Kansas. Kansas team total over 76 and a half and I'm taking Miami's total under. Now I know it's crazy, but I've hit it before. But remember, as long as I, I hit a couple of them, I, I don't do too bad. Remember what Wes has talked about. Getting some of that money back to be able to bet that St. Peter's game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Wes was doing that. That's for sure. The final game is St. Peter's. Will they spoil the Dream Duke-UNC matchup against North Carolina? This is the time where UNC knocks off St. Peter's. Now, I think St. Peter's will keep this game close. They've been pressing. Last game against Purdue, Purdue's size. Everybody thought there was no way they were going to be able to beat the front three tandem over there in Purdue. Well, they shut down the front three tandem, and defensively, they kept it under 70. If St. Peter's keeps this game under 70, they beat UNC. But I don't think they will. I think UNC... Proved against Baylor, a very good offensive team. Even though with the injuries they had, Baylor did come back. They did score 19 points consecutively with five minutes left of the game. But I think this is going to be a different game. St. Peter's is a different team. I don't know if they're going to be able to press against this UNC front court. And they're a very good rebounding team. UNC out-rebounded Baylor really in overtime and in the last five minutes of that game. So give me UNC in this game. I think, what is the point spread on this? Eight, eight and a half. They got bet up to eight and a half. Yeah, I think it's going to be closer than eight and a half. But somewhere around five or six. I think the game will be close all the way to the end. I think UNC is going to score more than 70 points. And if they do, I can't see as good as St. Peter's has been defensively in this tournament, I can't see them shutting down this UNC offense. I'm peacocking. I am a peacock fan. I got my St. Peter's shirt coming in the mail. I got my hat coming. I am an all-around. I'm a peacock fan. I think this game, I think the Purdue game showed me more than anything is the fact that St. Peter's is going to get their style of game in. Purdue scores I think they're the fourth or fifth highest scoring team in all of college basketball. St. Peter's controlled that. They didn't let them get into the 80s, right? St. Peter's and UNC, same type of matchup. UNC's going to want to get out ahead and run, throw it down your throats. But St. Peter's is going to try to slow it down. Make it dirty. Make it grimy. Make it make you earn every bucket. And I think eight is way too many points. We've already been proven wrong. They come out, nine-point dogs against Kentucky, win outright. 10 or 9 points against Murray State, win outright. 13 against Purdue, win outright. You're still giving me 8? No way. I have to take the Peacocks in this. They're going to keep it close enough. And to Philly. So what you're going to get in Philly, one, St. Peter's is going to be in the kind of games like this, UNC's not going to get love. St. Peter's is going to have that crowd behind them. It's right there. If you're not a UNC fan, you are going to have St. Peter's is going to be your team you're going for. You knock down a 3 and you hear that crowd getting into you. This team's hot. You know, I did it once, and I'm not doing it again. Give me the Peacocks plus eight. Sorry, I'll be the party pooper one last time here. Like I said, I think we're destined for Duke against North Carolina. I think eight and a half is kind of high. Definitely a toss-up. 
area for me. That's UCLA game against North Carolina showed the grit that the Tar Heels have and the strength that they have to close out games. Uh, it's kind of like a boxer situation when you go up against the guy toe-to-toe that's your same quality. Not that St. Peter's doesn't have quality, but there's still a Cinderella story. And then you face a team that doesn't have the same quality as the guy you just faced. They're going to stay close in the first half, but I think North Carolina pulls away in the end, and I'm liking, like I said, North Carolina Duke in the Final Four. The problem with me in this game is the points, without a doubt. But we've talked about it. I believe the point spread was created by Satan to ruin <laughs> Christians <laughs> everywhere. What I'm looking at is a live-action play. It's minus 380, so I'm not touching that. I don't know if you guys have an amount that you'll go. I've gone soccer with Hector. We've gone soccer games right minus 380. The team wins four to one. It's the easiest minus 380 ever. I don't see that here. I don't see them beating this team mostly because they're just going to beat them up on the boards. They're dominating the boards, North Carolina. But I'm looking for three and a half. So that's my number. I'm waiting to get three and a half. If St. Peter's, if they hit that three, Jonathan, and they get the roar and they're up early nine, seven, I might get that three and a half. But that's my number. I'm looking for three and a half. I'll watch the screen on live action the whole game. If I get it, I'm going to bet it. If I don't, I'm not betting. Oh, it's a dream, all right. <laughs> I think the thing with St. Peter's, too, though, is like everybody keeps saying, like, Purdue should have destroyed them on the board. They have a seven, four guy, went, got blocked, got bodied, didn't get offensive rebounds. 7-4 went to a waste. And so I, for me, like, they are not scared of the size. They're not scared that, oh, my God, these guys are seven feet. They don't care. Purdue's probably the tallest team in college, and they're like that every year. They always get the tallest kids. I don't know what they do out down there. They're always getting the tallest kids. Shut them down. So North Carolina's side. I'm telling you right now, if you put Purdue and North Carolina, like these two teams on the same court, Purdue wins maybe two of those games. Yeah. That, that's not an equal comparison. Purdue versus North Carolina? Correct. Give me Purdue. North Carolina is over exceeding expectations. (laughs) I would take Purdue over North Carolina. Give me 10 games, uh, Purdue wins seven. I would say that too. I think Purdue, if Purdue got through St. Peter's, I think they would have the easiest run to the national championship. And I think they probably would have won. They're home. It's been a good tournament. Speedy, what do we have next? Hector's three soccer plays. All three of them are going to be USL picks for me. I'm going to start off with the first one, Oakland Roots. They're going to be playing at home versus the expansion team, Monterey Bay. And Monterey Bay is getting a trial by fire now in their first season in the USL Championship. I think Oakland Roots is having made the playoffs last season. I think uh, they're going to be another Cinderella story this year, even though they haven't started off pretty well. But I think they're going to win it at home, going away 3-1. to one. And then I got the second game, another USL. It's going to be San Diego Loyal here in my hometown, San Diego. Versus Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising, one of the perennial teams in the USL Championship for years. They had a 23-game winning streak a couple years ago. It was something ridiculous, even though they didn't win the title. These two teams have gotten to be rivals over the last few years. Landon Donovan coaching San Diego. He's going to be back next season as well. These two teams are have a lot of firepower. San Diego is coming off a loss to FC Tulsa on the road on Wednesday. But I think they'll be ready to go for their rivals in Phoenix this time. It's going to be a live atmosphere. And I do think this time San Diego Lowe is going to pull it out on the close one, two to one. And my final pick, the third one, it's going to be an interesting one, actually, because these teams, they're not very well known per se, but in California, they are Sacramento Republic. They actually lost to San Diego Lowe in their previous game, and they got some good players this year. They're trying to make the playoffs. They just missed the playoffs last year. They're going to be playing at home. They're going to be playing actually against FC Tulsa, the team that just played San Diego Loyal. It's going to be a close game till the end, but I think with the home crowd, Sacramento's going to pull away, and I think they're going to win this one in the close, low-scoring one, one to nothing. One of my favorite nicknames is the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. 
Yeah, those guys suck for them because last season they made the playoffs, but because of the COVID situation, their team got canceled in the first round. They couldn't play, so the other team just made it automatically. Chaz, Chaz, you look like a river hound. (laughs) Well, we talked about Monterey Bay, guys. First of all, most of your listeners don't even know the USL. They don't know the teams, so they definitely don't know that Monterey Bay is an expansion team. Expansion teams in the history of professional sports get their butts handed to them early. And you got to hop on that. And that is only minus 105. Think about it. Now, SD Loyal is plus 485. The beauty of soccer, as Hector's told us before, you got three options. It's three-way betting. You bet team A, team B, or you bet the draw, the tie. So the odds are totally different than any other sport. You could go one and three in soccer, have a winning day. Chaz, I know you said Wes sent you some hockey plays. Here's what he said. Wes says that tonight, right about now, Toronto, the team total, you want to look at it. He's going to be on three and a half, and if it dips, two and a half. And as you know with Wes, when he talks about dip, it's no different than what I'm talking about with North Carolina. I'm not giving St. Peter's any points if I don't have to. They're just crazy good. But if I can get it to three and a half and have to win by four, that dip is what I'm going to hop on. But that's tonight. And then tomorrow, they're going to play again. They're going to be playing Florida. Both teams are now going to be coming on a back-to-back. And remember, Wes has got this back-to-back fetish thing going. Mm -hmm. He says, take the better team, Florida. So tonight, we're going to bet Toronto's team total over. And then tomorrow, we're going to bet against them. And I'll tell you this. Wes's hockey picks are dead on. I think he's hit on every single one of his hockey picks on Moneyline Mania. It's unbelievable. And if you haven't checked out Blackhawk Wes. But remember, on Thursdays when we do live, we'll hop on those first period bets. And, and we'll go to break. We'll do three minutes of spots. We come back. We already won. <laughs> That's why you got to bet. What's going to happen is I don't bet on sports. I was telling John, I don't bet on sports. I told Speedy the other day, I said, you know what? I might just play DraftKings and bet on everything West picks and see if I'll win. And that usually means I'm going to lose. <laughs> I've had guys that were 9-0. and Who do you like in the next game? Sure enough, that's their first lose. <laughs> that's why I don't want to play. Because I'll bet like 200 or 300 and I'll lose all my money. I'll be thanks, Wes. Thanks for making me lose. So I don't bet on it. John, you're very well known in Wes's conversations. He says that he listens to what you say, the way you make your picks, because you're dead on a lot of your picks, too. You could find Jonathan on Vegas Insider. They don't just put anybody on Vegas Insider, guys. You got to earn the right to be on Vegas Insider. Yeah, I had to track my plays for two years. I used like a secondary site where I basically got to put my plays in that is reputable. So you can pick any site now and say, oh, this is what I did, right? Mm. So this site had like, you have to put your games in a certain amount of time before the game. And it took like two years of me like showing them like my record every day, like to, for them to be like, okay, he knows enough. It was a process to get on there. They're not just going to put anybody, right? Everybody on Twitter is going 80%. So it takes a minimum of two peacock picks. <laughs> well, I'm not betting on any peacock. There's an awful big bankroll needed to cover all the plays. Make sure you're not taking the money out of the baby formula jar. I also think that the Sweet 16 and now the Elite 8 has been the face of betting right now. One of the guys reached out to me today, the Beef, anybody that listens to Sports Loudmouths, he asked me, he's got like a parlay right now. He has a chance to win 1500 and he told me, who do you got tonight? I have Duke and Villanova. Should I bet or just should I pull the money? I'm right now up $380 on a $20 bet. And I said, I don't know. If you're a betting man, you let it ride. If you're not a betting man and you just want to be up 300%, just take your money out and take what 
what you won. I said, you only put $20 on the line, so be the betting man. And if you lost, yes, you lost that money, but at least you only lost 20 bucks. So bet it on Duke, bet it on Villanova, and ride. What I, I would let it ride unless I'm winning like 20000 on a $30 bet. Then I might head. To me, 20 I'd let it ride. Yeah. I always tell people, you, you have to look at the emotional pain. It's not just the financial pain. If you don't cash out pre-80 and then be 100, you're going to be great. But you, there's like three options, right? You cash out and lose, but you got 380. You don't cash out and lose, and you're kicking yourself. So you got to weigh those emotional things. It's so fun. And, and by the way, you guys are great. Everybody that's listened to this segment tells me, Wes, Chaz, John, Hector, Mo, who's been on the show at least once. You guys have been great. <laughs> what do you got up there, Chaz? His crew. You're turning into Dick Cheney. You're just showing, like, paperwork now, dude. Like, <laughs> That's Moneyline Mania, ladies and gentlemen. Chaz, Hector, and John, as always, giving you winning picks, man. These guys are the best handicappers out there, and Chaz has really built a good roster of guys that absolutely know what they're talking about. And like you've all reached out to me on social media and telling me that Wes has been dead on with his hockey picks, all of these guys are very educated in their sports as Hector in soccer or European football. John in all different sports, from basketball to hockey to baseball, all of the different sports. He's been dead on on what he has been. And Chaz also, the leader of the crew over there, as always, the Sports Betting Weekly. And remember, this segment is always... Uh, a sponsor of Sports Betting Weekly. Check them out on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. They should be back very, very soon. So don't miss their show and listening to their handicappers on where they go in their picks. Fantastic. Chaz, thank you for joining us. John, Hector, thank you for joining us. Always thank be you for having us. Up. As everybody knows, when we come back, Speedy, what do we got? We got crunch time here on the Weekend Crunch. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, our Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Moneyline Mania with Chaz, John, and Hector. Wes was not on this week, so I know a lot of the fans love what Wes produces. He did get his hockey picks of the week. So. I was going to say, he's, when he's not here, he's still helping out. He's still helping out, and if you want to make bets and you want to make bids on his hockey picks, he's been dead on. He really has. He's been really, really good. So keep betting and, and winning some money. Like they say, cashing those checks. So, Speedy, let's go. It is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So four picks for a pending Final Four. All college basketball will start just a general basis. All four Elite Eight games will be single-digit margins of victory. I would say yes. I absolutely believe it. So I'm going to buy it. Even with St. Peter's versus UNC, I think St. Peter's has kept it close. Their defense has kept it close, and they're going to press UNC. So I, I believe it'll be single digits, so I will buy it. I'm going to sell it. The one that I think will end up being double digits will be Duke. I think they'll eventually pull away in the second half. Arkansas is battle-tested and good in close games, but I think Duke has just too much talent to match up against them. Their defense has been the same as last year when they made it to the Elite Eight and lost against Baylor. So I think that'll be the one. All the other three, I agree with you on St. Peter's. That'll be close. All the other three will be single digits. I will sell it. All right. 
at least one double-digit seed will be in the Final Four, either Miami or St. Peter's. I'm going to sell it. Everybody knows my bracket. I have Kansas, I have Villanova, I had Duke, and I had Baylor. The only team that's not making it on my bracket is Baylor. I can't see it. I like Miami. I expect Miami to play well against a team like Kansas, but Kansas has too much firepower, so I am going to sell it. I am going to buy it. I love the way Miami has played this tournament, and Kansas played a very ugly game against Providence. That first half might have been the worst first half offensively I have ever seen in a college basketball game. He was 26-17 at halftime, just really sloppy. They didn't look good defensively against Creighton. Miami, outside of the beginning of the second half against USC, has really played quality basketball on both sides of the cart. And Jim Laranega is an experienced coach, too. Kansas has had some big duds against lower teams in the past. I think Miami gets it done. And I think Miami's really been, outside of Houston, the most consistent in terms of performance team. So I definitely think they get it done. I am going to buy it. Miami to the Final Four. All right, one of the two, number two seeds, either Duke or Villanova, will lose in the Elite Eight. I'm going to sell it. I think Villanova will beat Houston, and I think Duke will beat Arkansas. I expect both teams to possibly be in the national championship, so I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think Houston's been the best performance team so far in this tournament, but I think the run will end here. Villanova finally has the coach. I think they could help compensate against Calvin Sampson, who's another very good college basketball coach, but Jay Wright has been the best probably the last five years in terms of the consistency, just building a great, great program. And this Villanova team is also very good defensively as well. I called Arizona being kind of fraudulent. I figured Houston would win that, and they really exposed him badly, but I think they have a little bit of a letdown. Villanova gets it done, and I said, as I said, Duke, I think, matched up well with Arkansas. All right, the last one. The dream matchup of Duke-UNC. It's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. I I like St. Peter's. I like what they've done. I expect this to happen. Why not end Coach K's career winning a national championship and have to going through the immortal and the dangerous UNC Carolina Tar Heels. So I will buy it. I'm going to buy it too. Maybe two or three years ago, I might have not bought it because now we're seeing a lot of these like massive storylines, these bigger teams. You look at the Rams winning the Super Bowl, the Cubs the way they won the World Series, all these like bigger teams, the storybook endings for a lot of these teams coming through. And why not have it translate into college basketball now? I think North Carolina's made a statement so far these last two games against Baylor and against UCLA, which I thought was a really tough matchup for them. They played very well defensively. St. Peter's, I think, will hang tough. It's going to be another pest game, but I think Carolina will get it done and get that storybook ending against Duke. And those are our Weekend Crunch picks of the week. I hope everybody had a great time. Shout out to Chaz and the crew. Thank you to ESPN Cleveland host Matt Fontana for joining us. He was fantastic as well. We'll be back next week with more sports arguments and all the sports that are going on. Tyreek Hill not going to the Jets. Who cares? I don't think Jet fans should be upset about that. I think keeping their picks and moving forward, there's still quality players out there in free agency if the Jets want Bobby Wack or they want the Honey Badger. There are still quality players that they can make a move for. Maybe even Julio Jones are trading for uh, Tyler Lockett. So, Jet fans, relax. There's more than enough for the Jets to go after this coming year. We'll be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.